Shalom and welcome to the ICEJ weekly webinar. This is David Parsons, uh, one of the vice presidents and senior spokesman for the Christian Embassy here in Jerusalem, coming to you from our headquarters in the Israeli capital. We're glad uh, for everyone joining us from around the world. We're talking about the results of the Israeli elections. We've had a bit of a break on the weekly webinar uh, and uh, because of our Sukkot celebration, and we're picking this back up now, and we've got a big story to uh, deal with here coming out of the, all the Sukkot holidays. Israel has just gone through its fifth election in 43 months, just uh, a little over three and a half years, and uh, the results are looking like uh, we are out of the political impasse that Israel's been stuck in for, for al almost four years with uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, Israel's longest serving prime minister already. Looks like he's going to get a third uh, chance to rule the country uh, back in the 1990s. He had three years and then uh, from uh, around 10 or 11 years until 2021, the past year and a half or so. Uh, he was in opposition, but he's back now. Uh, it's looking as they count up the, the last of the votes. And part of the surprise of the election is the margin that he's won. We've had so many close elections, 60, 61 seats on each side, or 59. It was so close. But because Israel has this threshold, of certain, uh, a party has to get at least 3.25% of the raw vote in order to get in the Knesset. That's about worth four Knesset seats in order to get in. There were several parties uh, that uh, were being projected as close who didn't make it. You then have to take, say, their four seats and redistribute them. And so there was one on the right, two on the left, Merits and the, one of the three Arab parties, Balan, that didn't make the threshold, that has to be redistributed among the other parties. And it's very clear that uh, right of center, the nationalist camp led by Bibi and Netanyahu and the Likud is going to be able uh, comfortably to form a government. And there is, uh, I think, among most Israelis, a sense of relief that the political impasse of the last couple of years is over. Uh, and uh, we can see these results here. This was from 87% uh, uh, of the vote counted, uh, and um, it's up in the high 90s now. It's almost final. These numbers really won't change. The Likud with 32 seats, they're up two from last time. The uh, uh, Yeshatid, uh, uh, Yair Lapid, who was serving as caretaker, prime minister, part of the former government, he's up to 24, but uh, his centrist party didn't do enough to block Netanyahu from coming back to power. Uh, the National Unity Party, this is Gantz and Gidon Saar, Benny Gantz, former IDF chief of staff and um, defense minister in last government, along with Gidon Saar, who's right of center, used to be in Likud, but uh, they got 12 votes, 11 for Shas, which is the uh, the, uh, the Sephardic uh, ultra-Orthodox party. Uh, that uh, That's better than they've been doing in recent years, up to two Knesset seats from last time. They're going to be part of the coalition. 
uh, here, the Jewish home, Naftali Bennett, he, even though he had seven seats in Alaska, and that's it was quickly six when he made uh, joined the government. He served as prime minister for a year, um, but his party has basically disappeared. He took a break from uh, politics after um, their government fell a few months ago, and Ayelet Shaked couldn't get them past the uh, the electoral threshold. So they've sort of disappeared. Labor, only four. That's down from seven. Um, Mechaeli, uh, on the on the left, she's having to answer some questions about their poor showing. United Torah Judaism, this is the Ashkenazi ultra-Orthodox party. They got eight seats. That's fairly normal for them. Uh, Israel Batenu is Avigdor Lieberman and his Russian party. He's down from seven to five. Um, and he's not going to be much of a player. He used to be in Bibi's camp, but he, he's been with the center and with this last government, and uh, so he's going to be in the opposition. Here's the big news. Religious Zionism over here on the far right, 14 seats. That's up from six last time. They more than doubled. A lot of it is the Jewish Home Party, Bennett and, and Shaked, lost a lot of their votes here, maybe some from Likud or some from Gedan Sa'ar. They voted for, uh, it's a it's an alliance of three uh, uh, religious nationalist parties, uh, including some that say they have Kahanist leanings. We'll talk about that with today's guests. Uh, merits disappear. They're, they're down from four to zero. This is the far left uh, Jewish Arab party. Uh, and uh, Hadass and Ra'am. Ra'am was in the government and Hadass, another Arab party. These two have made it back in with five seats, but they, um, uh, Ra'am won't be a part of the government this time. And then uh, Balad has disappeared. Uh, they were in the last government along with Hadass, I mean, in the last Knesset along with Hadass as a, the Arab joint list. But they, that, the, the disappearance of Balad and Meretz from this Knesset, they didn't make the threshold, means those eight seats have to be redistributed. And whereas projections were that BB had a chance, he had a good chance to get maybe 60, 61 seats to form a government, and now looks like he may have at least 65 seats or even more in uh, between Likud and their natural partners on the right in the religious Zionist and the ultra-Orthodox religious parties. And uh, um, we're going to see if we can bring on our guests now, if he's ready. Uh, I am ready. Okay, Gil, show thyself. <laughs> Hello. Hi, this is uh, Gil Hoffman. He's been uh, a friend of the embassy and, and a friend of our webinar, been a guest on our webinar several times, helping us understand this rough and tumble sport of Israeli politics. Uh, some of you may remember Gil as the chief political correspondent for the Jerusalem Post for 24 years. And uh, but now recently he took up the post as executive director of Honest Reporting. It's one of the main media monitoring groups out of uh, Israel, very important, uh, sort of birthed out of the second Intifada. 
And I'm sure that uh, Gil, if you've heard him before, he's a very sharp, astute uh, analysis of Israeli politics, but also with a lot of humor. He's an excellent speaker. He's spoken in just about every state of the union, a bunch of other countries. Uh, and uh, th this new position, I hope it really gets you around some more, Gil, to speak in public and defend Israel as a democracy and, and, and as the Jewish state. And he's also uh, lecturing uh, at the Israel College of Management in Rishon Lezion. And he has a, right. uh, a large family. He's a busy father as well. But it's great to have you, Gil. It's a pleasure being with you, David, and yeah. to the 120 participants here on this Zoom and more people watching on other social media, YouTube. Uh, and, and so I have brought her now for all these five votes that there have been. Yes. Uh, we've also had a race for mayor of Jerusalem and a runoff race. She turned six yesterday. Okay. And so when she was still five, she was already voting for the seventh time. <laughs> that, that's how intense it is. Yes. And, and I think that impacted our election because people were sick and tired of this political chaos. Yeah. Uh, most elections in the world that are close are decided by swing voters. You know, in American elections, both the Democratic and Republican Party go to the center of the political map. Um, here, uh, who were these swing voters that were supposed to decide our elections? Well, it was not immediately clear. Uh, in past elections, it had been clearer. We had an election in 1996 between Netanyahu and Shimon Peres. And then it was clear Netanyahu was on the right, Peres was on the left. And so they went to the center. Netanyahu's campaign slogan was Netanyahu Osim Shalom Batuach, making peace in a secure kind of way. Peace not being a word generally associated with Netanyahu mm -hmm. at the time, anyway. Um, Perez's slogan was Israel Chazaka, Chazaka in Perez, Israel strong with Perez. <laughs> Perez, of course, not being associated with strength. Yeah. And so that was very, very uh, clear who the center of the political map was. Yeah. And that, that also a year ago, we had an election where there wasn't a right-wing camp or a left-wing camp. There was a camp of one Shakespearean cliche, to be or not to be that was the only question. And yeah. every party leader had joined one camp or another, except for one, Naftali yeah. Bennett. And um, this is Liori, who can say hello Hi. to you. Hi, Liori. And, and so because Naftali Bennett did not join one camp or another, he got to hold the balance of power and decide who should be the prime minister. And he, of course, decided on himself. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but this time around, who were the swing voters? You all know an Israeli or two or have met one or two. Uh, David knows millions of them. Have you ever met anyone who doesn't have an opinion on Netanyahu? They, they mm -hmm. all do. Mm -hmm. So if we didn't have swing voters, we had what we call stability voters. Stability mm -hmm. voters are people who decided that ending the chaos was the most important thing to do. 
And so that's why a lot of people who didn't want Netanyahu to be prime minister decided that they were going to let him do it anyway. I, uh, and they voted for him or for one of his satellite parties. And I think that's what carried him to victory. Uh, there was one other thing that carried him to victory, which was security. Um, talk about in just one second. Little girl, I'm going to open this for you and you should play with it now while I talk to these nice people. Oh, then don't do it. Do something that does not require help for a little bit, okay? Because I'm going to talk to these nice people. So security, um, there had been terrorist attacks, uh, both in the last few days before an election, uh, causing an October surprise in any country, um, and uh, pr pr uh, primarily here, where Netanyahu in the past has taken advantage of security challenges because Netanyahu, I'm going to let people finish the sentence and fill in the blank because I don't have an opinion. Netanyahu is either brainwashed or succeeded in convincing Israelis with his unprecedented persuasive abilities mm -hmm. that he and only he can make them feel safe. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so it was bound to happen that Netanyahu would win this election. And uh, it has to be kept in mind that the Palestinian Authority had a responsibility to stop this terror. Uh, the Lion's Den terror group uh, acted in cities that have been controlled by the Palestinian Authority since the mid-1990s, and they, they failed to stop them. And any there's a government that might be harder on them than the previous one, then they have only themselves to blame. Um, yeah, now, that, that the last in, thing uh, I want to say before questions. Yes. Yes. Um, is just to understand that now, because Netanyahu can only pretty much form a right wing homogenous government, un unless someone's lying here about not sitting with him, um, this is a government that will not look as good to the liberal media around the world, to uh, governments around the world. Israel is getting ready for an onslaught of a bad press and uh, criticism um, and you as supporters of Israel through the International Christian Embassy, um, we're going to need you more than ever. I mean, uh, and my organization, Honest Reporting, too, I, I've been re uh, warning for months that after having a, what I call the honeymoon of sorts, where we had the most diverse government in Israel's history, perhaps the most diverse government in the history of mankind on this earth, with mm -hmm. right wing and left wing and centrist mm -hmm. together, and an Arab party for the first time, which looked wonderful to the world, which likes diversity. Mm -hmm. We're now going to have the kind of government that the world doesn't like, uh, with a, a couple Arabs less in the Knesset, with right. Netanyahu, who the world would see his return as regressive, if not a worse word, and the rise of Itamar Ben-Gvir, who uh, David spoke about uh, with another uh, five seats from his Jewish power party behind him, um, who uh, in the past said very racist things like expel all Arabs. He mm -hmm. toned down his support. He toned down his, his rhetoric for this election uh, in order to gain more supporters. He, he said, uh, now I'm only in favor of expelling terrorists. That's mm -hmm. something Yitzhak Rabin did. That's not controversial. Mm -hmm. um, but then in his victory speech, he kind of um, proved right. The people who said oh, he was just doing that tactically, he hasn't calmed down in any way. When he said, we're going to be the landlords over here. Landlords over who? 
obviously over Arabs. He's talking about Jews having power over Arabs. That looks terrible to the world. And so my team at Honest Reporting, that is the main organization fighting for Israel in the international mainstream and social media at honestreporting.com and on every social media outlet, um, we this is why we exist. We're going to be mm-hmm. fighting uh, this all around the world, and it's not going to be easy uh, with the small team that we have, but we're going to do the best that we can uh, because uh, Israel needs uh, uh, this for the future. This is why we exist. Like, I don't, <laughs> we, the organization been around 20 years. I'm sure it did wonderful things before I got there, and I've gotten five anti-Semitic journalists fired since I got this job, including three at the New York Times. But from now on, this is why <laughs> we exist. And I'm glad that I'm uh, taking on that role. Okay. Yeah, it's going to be exciting to see you uh, in this new role and, and uh, to see what all you can do to keep uh, other reporters honest, as we say, and fair. And But it is a challenge. I think you've already you've just laid out a real challenge for us as Christian supporters of Israel of what this the uh, components of this new government how it's going to be viewed in world capitals and in the liberal media um, and in the big tech. Uh, we've got a battle on our hands. But first of all, how much do, do you see these parties that didn't make it in, like Meretz, Balad on the left, Ayelet Shaked on the right, the polls showed she probably wouldn't make it. But on the left, for two of those parties, uh, it represents at least eight seats that get redistributed elsewhere. How big of an impact was that on, on this election? It looks like BB went from 61 margin, perhaps, to 65 or more. You're absolutely right, David. It, it had a huge impact because um, we had a tie you know, when it came to the popular vote, uh, just like has mm-hmm. happened in the past uh in the United States and elsewhere, but it's not reflected in the results that matter at all. Um, there are about uh, four seats wasted by Meretz, three seats wasted by Balad, two seats wasted by a Victor Lieberman not making a vote-sharing agreement on excess votes, and one seat wasted on labor making mm-hmm. a vote-sharing agreement with a party that did not cross the threshold, rendering that vote-sharing agreement uh, trash. Uh, mm-hmm. Whereas on the right, uh, Netanyahu did a great job before the election of uniting different parties on the right, the ultra, two ultra-Orthodox parties running together, two, three right-wing parties to the right of Likud running together, vote-sharing agreements for all of them for surplus votes beyond the mandate mm-hmm. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. to make sure no votes would be wasted at all, except by Ayala Chaked, who you pointed out, who happens to get equal support from the to-be-be and not-to-be-be camps. <laughs> and her staying in the election till the end ended up raising the number of votes that were cast, which raised the electoral threshold to higher and mm-hmm. killed merits. Mm. That's that's uh, interesting. I think Gil's given us some of the intricacies of Israeli politics and elections that a lot of these parties will do a deal. Sometimes it's a right, a party on the right and on the left. They do a vote sharing agreement that if we only have enough for five seats, but we have a little excess and you have a little excess, the one with the most excess 
get you share that so that they can benefit and you're you're rolling the dice but Ayelet Shaked didn't do it her votes drove up the the number of votes you need to get a Knesset seat and it helped keep Merits and Balad out that's very good analysis how much it it does look like uh the the people in the national camp in Bibi's natural camp on the right that there was a higher turnout this time. Uh, and how much was that can you attribute to caretaker Prime Minister Yair Lapid really taking a, a risky and, and even reckless move, concluding this Israel-Lebanon maritime border? No, you're going to too basic, far. Huh? You're going too far. Is it? You don't People think don't that vote on such things. They no. don't? It's all personality. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll tell you where to. Where, no, the, the Lapid, yes, the, the Lapid personality, absolutely. Uh, mm -hmm. This was part of Netanyahu's strategy. Netanyahu got advice from Yariv Levine, who is a, a former Knesset speaker and the politician closest to him, to yes. do whatever he could to ensure Lapid would become caretaker prime minister, not Naftali Bennett, because mm -hmm. that would motivate Likud voters who. In the past, didn't vote because if they voted for Netanyahu, he would be prime minister. And if they didn't vote for Netanyahu, he would be caretaker prime minister. And it would didn't they didn't care this time to vote in order to get Lapid out of there and mm -hmm. ultra orthodox voters to get a Victor Lieberman and Lapid out of there. Lieberman being the finance minister who cut their benefits. Um, mm -hmm. So th that was the motivation. It was a very smart uh, tactical move. Mm -hmm. um, and. Uh, um, you mentioned uh, another part of of uh, of uh, this uh, caretaker prime minister idea, um, having uh, motivation now when they form a government uh, to go quicker also helps Netanyahu. Uh, mm -hmm. They want to reach an agreement on a new government as soon as possible in order to get uh, Netanyahu back in the prime minister's office. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there, I mean, it was in the in the headlines during the latter stage of this campaign. There wasn't much else really stirring it, but this agreement and uh, with with Lebanon, it's actually an agreement Israel made with the U.S. and an agreement, a parallel one that Lebanon made with the U.S. They never signed the same piece of paper, but it was in the headlines. And Bibi said that uh, he. Uh, he wouldn't uh, ditch it, but he would neutralize it. What do you think he's going to do with that? So the Lebanon agreement, uh, the Lebanon agreement uh, was an unheard of thing to have a, a, a government in Israel approve when it's not really in power, an agreement with a foreign power who does mm -hmm. not recognize Israel, with an enemy state. That was a very big deal. I, I still don't think it impacted the election with all due respect. If Israelis vote on personality, they vote on security. Um, and uh, I think that all, all the details of the, of the Lebanon plan, you gotta be really smart to understand why these waters are okay and other waters aren't. And mm -hmm. it lets our waters not be attacked. And there we found gas and the place where we agreed on, they didn't find gas too complex for a voting issue. Uh, mm -hmm. But you're right, it's unprecedented and history, for mm -hmm. better or for worse. But it uh, it was a, an election ploy by Lapid to try and get more votes. He got a few more votes, 
but uh, he's sitting in opposition now. He's on his way out. And uh, He would say he did it for the good of the country, uh, but uh, <laughs> Netanyahu also says he does things for the good of the country and the journalists don't buy it. Yeah. Now, we're going to get into the details of this. Uh, it looks like the prospective government that's going to come into power with uh, Netanyahu and his partners on the right and the concerns that it may not be palatable to a lot, uh, large part of the world, there is an alternative of perhaps uh, instead of the religious Zionism parties on the right that have some, uh, you know, particular uh, baggage with them, uh, that he could form a government with Benny Gantz and get on Sa'ar and the national unity alignment that, but I understand they, they say we're headed for the opposition. Any chance of it? They say they're headed for the opposition. Those are the leaders, mm -hmm. uh, Sa'ar and Gantz and um, Gadi Eisenkot, the former chief of staff of the IDF, who they brought in, who didn't help them at all, uh, mm -hmm. are all saying that they're headed for the opposition. Well, no, I haven't seen anyone ask that question to Mikhail Bitone, an un, rather unknown member of parliament who's on their list, mm -hmm. who was the mayor of Yerucham, a development town in the south. Mm -hmm. And uh, he cares more about socioeconomic issues. And maybe they could buy him off with a portfolio. Yifat Shasha Bitone, the former, the current education minister, has no political ideology. Mm -hmm. She's been in a couple different parties. Maybe she can be bought off. To, to get to 12, you need four. Well, mm -hmm. it, it, there's ways of doing it. That, and mm -hmm. Netanyahu wants to. He wants not to make an agreement with another party to the center left, he wants to steal members of parliament from the center left. Okay, and and in a way that's important because it then reduces his reliance on the religious Zionism parties, right? Uh, if it's just the United Torah Judaism, Shas, and religious Zionism, that's uh, Bezalel Smotrik and Itabar Ben-Gavir, then he's really reliant. They can hold him over the barrel on certain issues. But if he has a few extra folks, it, it reduces their, their uh, power over him. You're exactly right. And uh, right now, every party that would be joining the government could bring it down. That is not healthy. That's why in the past, before a political chaos of the last couple of years, um, prime ministers tried to get 80 seats in the, their coalition, so no party could bring them down. We mm -hmm. haven't seen that for quite a while. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let's let's uh, help us out and understand this re religious Zionism party. The, this uh, sort of, I, I don't want to say it really follows in the steps of the legacy of the old National Religious Party, which was the, the uh, national religious camp that was really uh, birthed through Ralph Cook, uh, at the birth of the state, and these became the supporters of the settlement movement, settling the whole land of Israel for religious reasons uh, and serving in the army, not like the ultra-Orthodox. But this new sort of religious Zionism with Itamar Ben-Gavir, how much of his, a problem is he and is Smotrich and some of the others, are they more palatable than him? No, they're, they're all politicians who will cause a problem for uh, Israel abroad. They're not going to like any of them in the international media. Um, but Salah Smotrich uh, said he was a proud homophobe. 
Well, that, that doesn't do too well uh, in uh, the press around the world. That doesn't do too well um, it, with uh, people that want to support Israel who uh, are in don't like such statements and uh the already jewish organizations in the united states have warned netanyahu against forming a government with them which is too late mm -hmm. um and um we're already getting very bad press of the right most right-wing government in israel's history mm -hmm. it's been billed uh, by cnn um it's not gonna uh, if you didn't hear me for a second there i got a yeah. call um so uh, that's a, a problem we're going to have to be dealing with. Mm -hmm. uh, Itamar Ben-Gavir himself, he seems to be a real provocateur that he, he shows up at uh, the, the whole uh, flashpoint, uh, flashpoints of the Temple Mount with a gun on his side wanting to go up on the Temple Mount or over at uh, uh, Simon the Righteous Tomb in Sheikh Jarrah that he really uh, tries to provoke certain things at certain moments. I don't know if it's just to make headlines. Uh, look very bad around the world. Um, this is uh, going to be a, a big challenge. Um, he talked during the campaign that, that uh, uh, LGBT are his friends and he, he doesn't say what he used to say, um, that Mayor Kahana, who was his, his rabbi, uh, he doesn't agree with him anymore. Um, he has to prove that. He has to prove that uh, when he comes to power, uh, he can be more pragmatic. Um, but we already saw the number two on his list speak today uh, in favor of conversion therapy uh, for mm. gays. That's not something that's going to win him any friends. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I know there was um, an incident a few years ago where uh, someone had sent uh, New Testaments in Hebrew to all the members of the Knesset, and uh, Itamar ben Gavir was a Knesset member at the time, and his chief of staff, I think Michael Ben-Ari, ripped up a New Testament in his hands, and there's a lot of Christians who still uh, remember that incident, but uh, a lot of the concern is towards the uh, LGBTQ community and also the Arabs. When we say Kahanist, Meyer Kahani, of course, was assassinated, but he believed in forced transfer of the Arabs out of the land, which ethnic cleansing is also heavily frowned upon today. Absolutely. And um, we're talking about six members of Knesset. It was one thing when it was one. Mm -hmm. um, the the uh, party of Smotrich and Ben Beer, they, they ran together. And they've already decided they're not going to remain together. They're going to be two separate factions in the Knesset in order to maximize uh, what they get from Netanyahu and coalition talks uh, in order to extort from him as much as they could. Um, so uh, they can have, you know, three ministers for Smavich's party and two ministers for Ben Gvir's party. And uh, there's another party that ran with him called Noam, who has one guy. He'll try to get something too. Um, it's not going to leave too many jobs for Netanyahu's Likud. Uh, that's going to be a challenge. You know, who's going to be the foreign minister and, and represent this government to the world? It's not going to be an easy job. <laughs> who's going to be the finance minister to pass a budget when the ultra-Orthodox are going to be paid off handsomely? 
It should be fascinating. They, yes. that, by the way, an untold story from this election is that the ultra-Orthodox have a record number of members of parliament. Mm. Um, Arya Derry, the leader of Shash, won 11 seats. Uh, mm -hmm. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. And uh, how is how is Netanyahu? He, he said, "Look, I'm the one who's going to set policy." But how is he going to manage this relationship with these far right parties? And how much leverage do they really have over him? That Netanyahu would make a point of having centrist and left wing people in his coalition and leaving the most right wing government out. He did that. It was called the National Union time. And um, so it um, made uh, more flexibility for Netanyahu mm -hmm. in the center left as that uh, they want to uh, cooperate uh, with Netanyahu. And so uh, they are, uh, that, that leaves Netanyahu really beholden to these people. Mm -hmm. um, and also his cases, his criminal cases, because mm -hmm. of them, um, he and him wanting to delay as much as possible uh, um, his trial or take any action that would uh, make it harder for the legal system to get at him, only the parties in his block would let him do that. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. Look, I, I I understand you have something else that you're going to. Gil's a, they, a busy. They just sent me a message saying that they're running late, so uh, you <laughs> okay. know, it's hard to try to accommodate all people and continue talking to you. You can feel free to continue asking questions. Okay, all right. Well, look, um, you brought up the the trial that uh, Netanyahu is involved in on three different cases of fraud, breach of trust, and one of them in includes bribery charges, very serious. But uh, the tradition was that uh, if an Israeli leader was uh, about to go under indictment, under indictment, they would resign and go deal with it and then try and make their political comeback. But he says this is a, a, a witch hunt by certain members of the police, the media. And so he stuck with it, but he stuck with it through five elections now and finally, he has a mandate again to govern. Why did he? I mean, it, it takes a lot of fortitude to, to go through that. Why is he still so interested in serving as prime minister? David, it's interesting that, that uh, in half an hour, no one has mentioned Iran, right? Yes. Well, Netanyahu does. Netanyahu mm -hmm. believes that uh, stopping the nuclearization, nuclearization of Iran is his uh, not only his top priority, but um, his destiny, and yes. he needs to stay in order to do it. That no one else can do it. That I mean, I, I can tell you that Yair Lapid that took action that re resulted in the delay of the nuclear program uh, quite successfully, uh, and uh, so did Naftali Bennett. And if anything, they proved that we don't need to have only Netanyahu as prime minister. But that's obviously not the way he thinks. He mm -hmm. believes he's saving Israel. Now, that, that's his point of view. Now, there's the more cynical answer, that it's a lot harder to prosecute you when you're prime minister. Yeah, yeah. But uh, look, he, um, he had a lot of years. Some critics say, look, he had a lot of years to deal with the Iranian nuclear program, and he never did. He never attacked it. We don't know if, if that'll happen. But I, I agree that you know, his father was uh, Ben Zion Netanyahu, who was an historian. And I think... Uh, 
Uh, Bibi considers himself um, something of an historian himself. He knows Jewish history and, and uh, really is, is one to build even further on his legacy as uh, this unprecedented leader in, in the modern Israel's rebirth. Uh, but does he have a chance to make peace with the Saudis now? What's he going to do with Turkey and Erdogan, some of these other issues? You, you saw his victory speech, right? So yes. while Ben gave a victory speech about being the landlords and upset a lot of people, Netanyahu's victory speech was conciliatory. Netanyahu mm -hmm. spoke about making peace with uh, more of our neighbors, uh, making reference to the Abraham Accords, and internal peace inside Israeli society. That was uh, quite impressive for him to send a, you know, a fig leaf. Uh, mm -hmm. an, an olive branch, that's the word there, uh, yeah. to uh, those who didn't vote for him. Um, yeah. He have to do that. And, and so uh, the continuation of the Abraham Accords depends on a couple of things happening. He has to get along with the president of the United States, right? Mm -hmm. Biden is the president for at least two more years. <laughs> who knows who the Democratic candidate is going to be in the next election? Mm -hmm. Who knows who's going to win the, uh, that election? Mm -hmm. um, and uh, unless uh, Biden really uh, wants there to be uh, Arab and Muslim countries joining the Abraham Accords, it is arguably the only Trump policy that he's endorsed, mm -hmm. um, then it won't move forward. Uh, you would think that he would want it to. Uh, also, Biden has a complicated relationship with Saudi Arabia that is obviously much worse than, than Donald Trump had. And, yes. and Saudi Arabia has been the key to every agreement in the Abraham Accords. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Look, uh, Netanyahu already reportedly met face to face with Crown Prince uh, Mohammed bin uh, Salman, the, you know, the uh, leader in waiting in Saudi Arabia. So they've already met in person and uh, there's a real opportunity for him there. But Gil, I, um, I, I look at uh, Israel having these historic reconciliations with some of the Arab countries in the region, the peace with Egypt warming up. But it does seem that like there's some real troubles reconciling with Israel's own Arab population and that there is an opportunity to do this, that even though uh, Bibi criticized the Ra'am party as being Muslim Brotherhood, you let him into government, he actually was in talks with him himself to maybe support him outside the government an election or so ago. What can he do to help heal the rifts between the Jewish and Arab communities in Israel? Netanyahu um, uh, is the father of the relationship uh, of, uh, with the Israeli Arab citizens. He's the one who made this agreement uh, with Ra'am Happen. He didn't enjoy the fruits of it, uh, mm -hmm. but he laid the groundwork for it. He allocated the funding for it. Um, he gained it, gave it the legitimacy that, that Bennett and Lapid took advantage of. And uh, so in recent months, in order to criticize the old government, he called uh, the Ram party all kinds of names. Uh, mm -hmm. But the fact is, this is a party that promised to deal only with the Israeli uh, Arab issues of, of, that are not controversial of infrastructure and education and fighting internal Arab crime. There's nothing they want to do that we could oppose it. Uh, and they kept their promise for most of the time. Uh, there was one time right after the Temple Mount uh, had violence. 
that uh, they pretended to protest. They mm-hmm. said they were leaving the coalition. They came back. They, they left during recess, right? They, they weren't even meeting. And then mm-hmm. they came back an hour before the first vote. So that, that kind of BS protest, there's nothing wrong with them. Um, mm-hmm. And Netanyahu would cooperate with them in one way or another. Uh, Smotrich might stop them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, I think there's a need to to work on this and an opportunity for uh, Benjamin Netanyahu as he uh, uh, my headline out of this is that uh, BB is back at Balfour, the official prime minister's residence on Balfour Street in central Jerusalem. We've been talking to Gil Hoffman. He is the executive director of Honest Reporting. He was the former Jerusalem Post political correspondent for 24 years. He knows Israeli politics inside and out, uh, and he's a busy man right now. We really appreciate your time. Any any other thoughts? How how long will it take to form a government, and what do you think uh, the immediate uh, uh, agenda will be? Well, November 15th is the day the Knesset gets sworn in, and that is when they want to... Uh, have the ministers already appointed i really doubt it uh, yeah. but uh that is the goal for mm-hmm. the uh, stay tuned uh, to my old website www.jpost.com stay tuned to updates from david and and uh go to honestreporting.com and any support that people could give us in fighting the media battlefield uh, we appreciate it thank you very much okay Thank to to Gil Hoffman for his time here. Uh, we're going to come back next week with another um, uh, ICJ weekly webinar. I think we're going to have a, a separate program on the uh, Israel-Lebanon maritime border agreement, the ramifications, what's happening with Turkey, some of those other developments with uh, another expert that'll be coming up in a couple of weeks. We also have on November 24th, We'll do a webinar on the 75th anniversary of the UN partition plan, which is important to Israel's uh, chain of title in their legitimacy, the legitimacy of Israel as a Jewish state. And uh, that's coming up. But there's also on the anniversary of November 29, vote on the partition plan, 1947. There's also a lot of anti-Israel votes at the United Nations uh, today, it's become a tradition, and we'll be talking about that as well with uh, a former uh, top advisor, uh, top staffer in the uh, U.S. Congress, Gil Capen, who now works with an arm of B'nai Brit to deal with all the anti-Israel bias and votes and activities uh, against Israel at the United Nations. So we've got some good uh, webinars coming up in coming weeks. And of course, next week, our global prayer gathering Wednesday at 4 p.m. We've got some good guests. Join us then. But uh, we want to thank Gil Hoffman again for joining us today, talking about the results of the Israeli election on Tuesday and where they are. It looks like Benjamin Netanyahu is headed back into the premiership here. He has a a bit wider government than uh, was expected but there are some concerns about uh, to his far right, uh, some of the policies and rhetoric and actions of some of these partners and how much trouble that's gonna cause and the ripples of that 
uh, out in the wider world for Israel, but also an opportunity for this man with an unprecedented legacy of leadership of this nation, longest Israel's longest serving prime minister is going to get uh, some more time uh, in uh, leadership here in Israel. And uh, for many Israelis, it's a relief that the political impasse of the last three and a half years, four years, uh, they're coming out of it. And we, we have to conclude by saying we, we need to thank God for keeping the country strong and stable and thriving despite the political uncertainty and chaos. It's almost like Israel doesn't need a government. You, certainly you do, but uh, somehow the hand of providence is over this nation that it continued to be strong and stable, secure, prosperous, uh, even with these very weak and, and uh, fleeting governments of the past three and a half years. That is over. Bibi is going to be king again, and we need to keep praying for him and all the challenges that he and this nation faces. Thank you for being with us here on the ICEJ weekly webinar. David Parsons saying shalom from Jerusalem.